0: This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Put my name
1: up in Week 18 in the NFL gave us all the drama we could hope for and more. And, I've, uh, and I'm going to learn to speak. That's what's going to happen this hour. You know what? We're going to do radio. It's a show. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. I had this whole thing worked out, and it just didn't didn't happen for me. Harry, I dropped back to throw the pass. I thought it was going to be there. The pass hit the ground five yards short of the wide receiver. I just have one question. What's the name of our show? God only knows. I mean, so far (laughs) today, it's been Fitz and Harry. It's Harry and Fitz. It's Fitz and Douglas. It's... Uh, It's the Jason Fitz show featuring some guy I don't know anymore. Uh, No, it's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. We're in L.A. together, by the way, uh, because we're going to be doing some digital action tonight for the pregame show to the national championship game between TCU and Georgia. You do not want to miss that. We'll get into a preview of that a little later in the show. But the big news this morning, uh, the broke just as we came to air, Cliff Kingsbury out as Cardinals head coach. Steve Kime is stepping away as the GM for the organization also. So uh, just a year removed from the playoffs, the Arizona Cardinals are now in complete rebuild mode.
2: Now well, you mean step away as in stepping down? Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, that makes he, sense. He's
1: stepping down, so uh, we haven't gotten clarity whether or not he's stepping down or whether he came in and the you know locks were changed. I don't know that portion <laughs> of it. Uh, oh, that, that,
2: oh, I know, uh, listen. Well, I won't say I know all about that, but you know, players in the National Football League, they understand when you you go to, you go to that facility and you punch that code in that door, and it keeps giving you that red. It's, it it doesn't have that green on there. You know what that means? Yeah. Time for you. hit the road, Jack.
1: Evan, given his clarity, Kime says he stepped away to focus on his health. But you're right. This morning, getting into the studio in L.A., I'm using my little key card to open up the door at ESPN. Uh-uh. No, no. They were like, not you, fat Jesus. What, what, and then what? Harry walks up, <laughs> and Harry immediately scans it. Doors open. Security guy looks at me. He's like, yeah, I know Harry. Who are you? So I have to tell him who I am. And then he's like, sign into the guest log. So I signed into the guest log at ESPN. And he's like, you're with Harry. I'll let you in. That, that's how I got in today. So I, kn- I know all about the key card not working anymore. More, I guess I'm Kingsbury in this analogy. I don't know. All right. We'll break down some of the good and the bad. We're going to do it from all the weekend's action. And we'll do that with a little three up, three down
0: from the top stories in sports
1: guys, huge news over here to the bottom. This is it rock bottom. Audible. This is three up three down with Fitz and Harry number one. All right. So you're going to give us something up, right?
2: Yep, I'm going to give you a an up. And for me, it's Naheem Hines. Yes, I was trying to figure out when was this trade going to pay off for the Buffalo Bills. It paid off and it paid huge dividends yesterday as he had two kickoff returns for touchdowns, and not just any touchdowns, touchdowns that the Buffalo Bills needed because they weren't on their A game. Now, moving forward, he's a guy that you can get the football to in a lot of different situations, whether it's on punt returns, kick returns, from the backfield, catching the football on screens. So I'm looking forward to the Buffalo Bills after seeing these two kick returns for a touchdown adding him more to their offense and trying to get him more involved.
1: No, I, I love what you're saying there, especially watching the the speed that once he got through that hole, he was just absolutely untouchable, and that's going to make a big difference. I like that you're positive, but I'm going to give you the number one that I'm down on after the course of the weekend. Brandon Staley, like, who do you have naked pictures of? How do you still have a job? And I know that the Chargers are going to the playoffs, and this is where Chargers fans will tell me that I'm always hard on the Chargers because I'm a Raiders fan. Let me be clear. I'm hard on the Chargers because I picked them in the preseason to go to the Super Bowl. I think that they are a great roster and now all of a sudden you got a great roster that last year coaching kept out of the playoffs and this year the coach that doesn't play any of his starters for the preseason decided that he would play his starters for meaningless late season action that was going to mean nothing and now all of a sudden you got an injury to Mike Williams, you got an injury to Bosa. We don't know how that's going to impact them now that they've finally made the playoffs. Let me be clear I think the Chargers if you were playing Madden are one of the best teams in the NFL and I think their coaching is a liability that makes them worse week in and week out
2: and number two number two for the upper and no we're not talking about a specific gummy number two as, <laughs> as an upper we're gonna go with Mike Tomlin the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers since Mike Tomlin became the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers he has not had a losing season. Now, there was a point in this season where a lot of people, including myself and I'm sorry Mike Tomlin, I'm going to apologize to you for doubting you and your team, thinking that you guys were going to have your first losing season. Not so fast, my friend, as I quote the great Lee Corso. Not only, you know, has Mike Tomlin been able to have a winning season this this year, he's also found, I think it's quarterback he has his young players in Najee Harris and George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, those guys stepping up in a tremendous way. But I think the key piece to this puzzle is TJ Watt. If you have TJ Watt healthy, if you have Fitzpatrick in the back end at the safety position making plays, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be okay. So shout out to Mike Tomlin.
1: Yeah, we were all wrong about this one at some point. You know, I think to the point that we were sitting there yesterday watching the action finalize and we're like, man. For all the conversation about the Steelers being a negative, it certainly feels like they've had a positive season yet again. That's just what they do. All right, you're positive. I'm negative. I'm going to give us another thing I'm down on. And it's Green Bay Packers rookie Quay Walker. He was ejected last night for unsportsmanlike conduct for anyone that didn't see it. 7.24 left, he shoved a member of the Lions medical staff who was trying to get to DeAndre Swift. Now, I've seen a couple former players say the medical staff should never put their hands on a player, and obviously this person did. Yep, I get that, because you're clearing out room to get to somebody on the ground. And when you are only days removed from what we saw, there should absolutely be a sense of awareness to the the personnel that is trying to get there and help everybody in every situation. This is the second Ejection this year for unsportsmanlike conduct for Quay Walker. He said afterwards in his, uh, in his statement, quote, I want to apologize publicly about what happened Sunday night. I reacted off of my emotions again and take full responsibility of making another stupid decision. Since then, I've questioned myself and why I do what I did with the trainer, was doing his job. I was wrong. I understand I have to face everything that comes with the decision I've made, and I'm definitely paying for it now. I love the statement, but man, you got to be better in that moment. You got to above in that moment, and you got to make sure that you are controlling your emotions, especially in a week unlike any other in NFL history where we have been focused on the great people that stand on the sidelines to try make sure players are safe. Got to be better, man.
2: I like Number it. three. Number three. Now, let me go over this really, really quick with you, Fitz. Now, if it's an upper, what is it called? Sativa? What, what is
1: it? Uh, well, uh, yeah. just, just S- Sativa uh, Sleepy. and
2: uh, Indica is the upper. Now, I'm going to continue to reiterate. This is not the gummies that a lot of you listening probably like. This is not Indica. (laughs) This is the upper that I think uh, from yesterday's slate of football games. And the last one I'm going to go, or this weekend period, I'm going to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars because their defense really stepped up at a time when they needed them the most. You see Rayshon Jenkins coming on a blitz, strip sack. Um, went in for a touchdown. You see guys like Josh Allen, Corey Peters. I played in Atlanta with Corey Peters. Corey Peters has been a a beast since he was at the University of Kentucky, and y'all know how much I hate saying that name because I went to Louisville. But also, Devon Hamilton had a great game. Uh, Foyer Lewick from the linebacker position. This defense really showed up. At a time in a football game against the Tennessee Titans, uh, win or go home scenario for the Tennessee Titans, Jacksonville Jaguars probably could have got in another way, but they probably wanted to get in just winning that game. That defense stepped up, so shout-out to Jacksonville.
1: Duval! Okay, let's just uh, – that's too much up for me. We'll go straight to the next down. And the next down – is NFL officiating? Man, like, I hate conspiracy theories, and I'm not one to conspiracy theorize, but all the people on Twitter, that were asking if the NFL was just blatantly trying to make sure the Seahawks could get into the playoffs and not the Lions. Like, even I was watching the end of the game saying, like, nobody can be that bad that many times, right? Like, no officiating crew can make that many mistakes, and the craziest part of all of it is it's correctable, NFL. Give us an official that's an eye in the sky that can make an immediate correction on substantial plays. You got a running into the kicker that was questionable at best you got a roughing the quarterback that was trash you got missed uh, taunting penalties all over the place like the officials did everything they could to make sure that they didn't do their jobs well like you you gotta try to be that bad at the very least the nfl needs to look at that entire crew and send them to summer school send them to off-season school and be like y'all do not know the rules well enough you need to be better
2: well, the game was so crazy to me, the Seahawks versus the Rams, because the Seahawks did a great job of getting off the – I mean, the Rams did a great job of getting off the football field. And then at the time when well, they were up 16-3, to and you have a running, running into the kicker in which the, 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 the punt team guy was thrown into the kicker. I, I was like, are you kidding me right now? And little do people know when you have a team backed up and they have to punt to you, most likely you're going to get that ball plus 50 with chances to get points. The percentages of you winning that football game, if you get that football plus 50 to go get points at that junction in the ballgame, go up by a large amount. But they were robbed of that. And then we also seen Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks go down and kick the game-tying field goal at that moment that made it 16-16. So they may have gotten robbed, man. And and, and, and it hurts the Lions because they end up winning the game. So on the back end, they were screwed.
1: Yeah, and for the Lions, you're sitting there saying what might have been. for Lions fans, you're sitting there saying what might have been. None. Of that is easy, obviously, as the Lions have to deal with the fact that they had a great season but didn't make the playoffs, and they're going to watch the end of those. Like, the Lions might be the first team ever to send a memo to the team offices, to the league offices, asking for officiating to be reviewed for a game they didn't play in. I'm just saying. Uh, Obviously, you want to hear what both Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert said. This is amazing. They talked about the decision to play the Chargers starter. There's only one person to blame for it. We'll talk about it next. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. The question of who to play and when to play them is always gonna be analyzed with 2020 hindsight. We always get the benefit afterwards of coming in and saying, Well, why didn't you or why did you, depending on what happened. But that doesn't change the fact that now the Chargers are dealing with multiple injuries after Coach Brandon Staley decided, even though he doesn't play any of his com- players in the preseason that he would play them in a meaningless regular season game. The question is, was it the right choice? And what's it mean for the Chargers moving forward? It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. You guys can hang out with us on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888 Brandon Staley was asked at his press conference why he played his starters. Harry Douglas, this is what he said.
0: We were trying to compete in the game, and we only have 48 guys on the team that are active for the game. And so, uh, we wanted to make sure that they went um, a good ways in this football game and competed at a high level. And then, when we felt like it was right for them to get out of the game, then that's what we we're going to do: slowly phase them out um, so that we get them ready for next week.
1: You like that? It depends
2: on the situation. And for the Chargers situation, I don't believe their seating would have made a difference, right? No, no. Yeah, their season wouldn't have made a difference. It's not like they were playing terrible going into the playoffs. Also, when you are a football team that is decimated by injuries the entire year, you have to factor those type of things in. People like Mike Williams, who's missed time. You know, people like Joey Bosa, who's missed time. Those are two guys who got hurt in that ball game. And Mike Williams is such a key part of what they want to do offensively because he adds the element for Justin Herbert to have a guy that is, I think right now, is the best jump ball wide receiver in the National Football League. And what I mean by jump ball wide receivers, uh, it doesn't matter what defender you have on them. They have the size, the strength, the ability to go up and catch the football at his highest point and take it away from defenders. That's a luxury to have when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert. That that luxury might be in question now. Um, with his, I think it's his back. He think he had a right, back issue. His back. When you look at a guy like Joey Bosa who's just coming back, And you're leaving them out there for what? Like, what's what's the reason? And for Brandon Staley, you look at last year, right, with questionable decisions and going forward on fourth down in his own territory. Matt LaFleur yesterday pulled a Brandon Staley. That's why I mentioned him earlier when we were talking about the Green Bay Packers. He kind of calmed it down a little bit this year, went for fourth down, rightfully so. Um, But at the same time, I question a lot of decisions that Brandon Staley has made as a head coach the last two years and i can't help but think about you know the chargers at the time when they were the san diego chargers and marty schottenheimer and 2004 the chargers going 12 and 4 2005 going 9 and 7 2006 they they went 14 and 2 mm. but they lost in the playoffs to the new england patriots and he no longer became their head coach brandon staley and the and anyone who's involved in his life better watch out come you know that first playoff game against the jacksonville jaguars because if that game uh, for them gets out of hand and it's embarrassing, there's a possibility that Brandon Staley still won't be the head coach next year. Even though he's in year two and took them to the playoffs this year, and I won't say he took them, uh, the players took them.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you think about what's on the line for them, and and really what makes a job appealing, which we're going to have all week to talk about what makes a job appealing. If you are talking about the Chargers, you're talking about. Uh, you know, you're playing in an organization that isn't afraid to spend money. You're playing in an organization that, that aggressively goes to, to the offseason and in talent acquisition. You're playing with an organization that has a quarterback on I mean, like the, the, the check marks for many coaches uh, are, are there for this to be a luxury job. And, you know, Justin Herbert, not only at this point, he makes his first playoff start obviously next week, but he's even answering questions as he was asked about the decision for starters to play. And this is what QB1 said at his press conference. Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, it was up to the front office. It was up to Coach Staley. Um, and whatever they decided for our offense, for our defense, um,
0: I was going to be on board with 100%.
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's also an organization that, you know, Sean Payton looks at and sees all these toys, these nice shiny toys that they have and wouldn't mind coaching as well. And I've, and I've said this a long time ago, that a guy like Sean Payton with a Justin Herbert, the way he uses multiple personnel groupings and – you know, shifts and motions and make a defense, makes a defense play the game of football in an honest way. And also a defensive coordinator when preparing uh, would be phenomenal with, with a guy like Justin Herbert.
1: No, 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 no. It would not be phenomenal. It'd be tar- like, I don't need this in my life, Harry. Like, <laughs> what are you trying to do? Make my falls even tougher? Like, let me be clear. Like, I already accept the fact that I'm going to get kicked in the no-no places twice a year playing the Chiefs. Like, I, I understand the Chiefs have a better coach-quarterback combo than my beloved Raiders are going to have any time for the next 15 years. I've, I've I've come to terms with that. I don't need an actual coach in the in L.A. for the charge. They get an actual coach. What am I doing for the next decade? I'm just going to – like, you're going to come in to the show every Monday, and I'm going to be in the fetal position, still hungover from the day before, saying, hold me, Harry. I can't take this in my life.
2: What's wrong with great coffee? Content. Well,
1: um, that's fair. Well, I mean, I don't like get so people what they you know, want. You know, great content. You know, great content would be coming and celebrating the Raiders being the best team in the AFC West, right? Like that'd be fun.
2: Yeah, but we want uh, real reality content, no, though. Too. No,
1: this is what this is. The what Chiefs. I do. Patrick
2: Mahomes is still in the AFC West. Yes. Did you know that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and and by the way, if you're Sean Payton. Who made it clear over the weekend? I, I actually I, I want to give Fox a ton of credit. I, I thought they did a really nice job on their TV broadcast of just flat out asking Coach like what he's looking for and what his situation is. He was very honest, but one thing he talked about was he wants an organization that has the entire structure in place in a way that uh, he feels confident in their continuity and the culture, right, of the front office of ownership. So a lot of these fan bases over the next couple of days that are looking at Sean Payton, you might want to look in the mirror at your favorite team and Ask yourself: Is the front office, GM, ownership situation so stable that a coach that has options would want to come in? Because I, I I don't know that. Bingo. And, and and if you're the if you're the Chargers, you got to look around at some point. Like I said earlier, like what's that meeting like yeah. in, in Arizona where you're sitting down saying what's going to make next year different? Man, if you're Brandon Staley and things don't go like they go on a playoff run, everybody's going to be fine. If well, the, they don't, there's going to be questions.
2: And the thing I love about Sean Payton is that he is a guy that. When he walks into the room, he's going to get everyone's attention, right? Attention to detail. You talk about a Bill Parcells disciple, but also understands, you know, the ins and outs of the game of football in 2023. Um, I just think it'll be a good pairing. And like you mentioned, that Jacksonville Jaguars matchup that the Los, Los Angeles Chargers are going to be facing in round one, all eyes are going to be on that game because if Brandon Staley and that team go out there and they fight and there's not no questionable decisions on his hands. I think he's back as their coach next year. If there's a lot of question marks when we leave that football game from the head coaching position, I can't sit up here and say 100% that he's going to have that job with the Chargers next year.
1: Well, we've already seen two head coaches fired today. They both reflect one very bad thing for the NFL. Vince and Harry, the podcast. cardinals fired head coach cliff kingsbury who 10 months ago signed a contract extension through the 2027 season the remarkable part of that is the cardinals have never had a head coach last longer than six years it's fitz and harry on espn radio the espn app sirius XM, channel 80 harry douglas jason fitz We're sitting together in Los Angeles getting ready for tonight's national championship game. We'll be with you digitally to pregame that show with a whole cast of uh, amazing people as we get you ready for TCU Georgia tonight. Obviously, we'll get into that more as the show goes on. But one of our main focuses today, not just on teams making the playoffs, but the other side of it, teams making changes to try and become one of the elite in the NFL. You just heard it there. Cliff Kingsbury, as we came to air today, uh, was fired by the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and there's an NFL Head Coaching Carousel special today, 2 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. It's Shefty, it's Louis Riddick, it's Mike Tannenbaum, it's Field Gates. They're going to give everybody everything they need to know. Again, 2 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on ESPN+. Us. Speaking of Lewis Riddick, he joins us now on the show. Always appreciate your time, brother. We just were talking about Kingsbury being fired. Obviously, this is Kyler Murray's team. How attractive in your mind is this job for coaches that are looking at opportunities?
0: Well, I think what they're gonna to have to consider is one, being that Steve Kind stepped away also, who am I gonna be working with? Um, how's the order going to go anyway as far as filling these two positions? Is the GM going to be hired and the GM is uh, going to pick the coach? Is the GM, are the GM and the coach going to be hired together and then, do they both report to the owner? The, you know there, there's a lot of different things here, you know not to mention you know philosophically, are the coach and the GM you know really a good match to then go ahead and start to really assess whether or not this roster, or rather how much work this roster really needs to have done. And, you know, when, when you say how attractive is the job, like I, I think that it's just all a matter of um, perception, quite honestly, meaning this. I don't know too many people who would look at this job or any other job in the NFL and just go, you know what, I'm, I'm just not interested. I'm just going to like not even look at that job, even given some of the things that you know are going to be obstacles for you. There may be some people who are in that position, but I think all these jobs are attractive and have attractive qualities. And with Arizona in particular, I think those two guys who do come in first and foremost have to put a plan together, Jason, to figure out what are we going to do with this quarterback? Like, what do we really need to do as far as building a relationship with him, understanding his strengths and weaknesses both as a player and as a person? How do we maximize those strengths? How do we get the most out of him? How do we get the most out of him individually? How do we get the most out of him from in, the, in a collective sense as far as him being a leader? How do we help him grow into a leader? Like, these are all questions that I think everyone continues to have with Kyler, despite him having long-term financial security with the new contract, and despite him having had some success already on the field. You just feel like there's so much more that this guy should be doing, that he's just not doing at this point.
2: Great stuff right there from our very own Lewis Riddick, ESPN NFL analyst and. Louis, I got to ask you, Lovey Smith being fired yesterday, and you just look at this Texans organization. The year before, it was you know Coach Cully, and I know Coach Cully personally. He's a wonderful mm-hmm. coach, a wonderful man. Lovey Smith, the same exact thing. This firing, what does this say about the Texans organization?
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of an, it's embarrassing, Harry. Look, I, I know David as well. Cully, I knew him since 2008 when I was in Philadelphia and he's about as stand-up a guy uh, as there is in the world, let alone in professional sports and specifically in the NFL. And what he was doing down there, what Lovey was doing down there relative to the talent level that they have there, relative to the what I think at best is considered to be a you know very, very, very questionable culture was nothing short of amazing. And for them to be kind of like cast aside after one year in consecutive years. I mean, it's just, it's just so embarrassing. It, it, you, you know it just stinks from top to bottom as far as the process that was involved with that. You know it was unfair. You know that, again, it will feed into the, oh, let's just say, the, the kinds of maybe biases that some have as to the level of competency of minority coaches saying, well, look, all these guys got chances. Steve Wilks couldn't even make it through a single season. David Culley was only one year. Lovey Smith, one year. I mean, it, it, which we know, you know, there's always more to it, especially when you look at, look at what Steve Wilkes just did in Carolina this year. And when he takes over on an interim basis, he should definitely have a shot at, you know, retaining that job. But, you know, getting back to Houston, look, they, they have something that absolutely, in my mind, stinks at its core and is just so toxic and counterproductive at its core. And I I hate saying that without knowing some of the people, you know, in more detail down there, but I know where some of those people come from, and I know, um, you know, how, from a fundamental standpoint, the things that they have learned throughout their career, you know, like a guy like Nick Cassidy, I know that the things that he has learned from people like, you know, uh, Scott Pioli when he was in New England and Bill Belichick himself, I know that those things are championship uh, fundamental beliefs, but it's just it's just the, the way in which they're they're treating people down there, and the way in which they're just running through coaches, and the way in which it just seems like people are being set up to fail over and over again. That just really disgusts you with what's going on there. And um, if you're a coach that has options, I just look. I mean, I, I I just don't think that that you would want to subject yourself to the kind of stuff that's been happening down there. Or at the very least, you would have some serious serious questions if you went in there for an interview. And quite honestly, if you were a coach, you would want some ridiculous levels of, insu- of assurances via money and power in order to deal with that kind of mess down there.
2: And, Lou, I'm not, I'm not asking you to chime in with what I'm about to say right now. It just happens that everything you just mentioned happened to two guys who happened to be black and minorities right. in the national yeah, football and the coaching ranks.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feed into that perception that, you know, when minorities are given these opportunities that they're not able to capitalize on them, that, you know, the NFL's supposed to be a meritocracy, right? If you're good enough, you're supposed to stay. Well, clearly there's gonna be people who think, well, David Kelly isn't good enough. Lovey Smith isn't good enough. And, you know, so I'm not saying everyone feels that way about all minority coaches, but we know how stereotypes work. We know how that crap just starts to, you know, feed on itself. And it is a shame that minorities get opportunities, and not all the opportunities they get are bad. Okay, but when they do get opportunities like this and then they just kind of get dumped unceremoniously like this, it just leaves a black eye on the entire on the entire you know quest and the, and, the, and the desire to try and get more minorities into positions of power you know specifically head coach and it's just it's just a bad bad look it leaves you with a bad you know bitter taste in your mouth that these, that, that kind of thing happened to those two men who are great men and um, yeah I think we'll all be watching this this situation very carefully although i will i will say that nothing surprises me with what happens down there they are on a they're on a roll as far as doing things in a way in which you know if you're trying to learn what's the right way and the wrong way you're not trying to copy anything Houston's doing currently
1: the passion that you speak with is part of the reason that we love you and i've had the opportunity to i feel like almost every year the last four or five years i've talked to you on this day the passion for the process is part of what makes you special my friend thanks so much for hanging out with us we appreciate you
0: you got it take care
1: lewis Riddick, espn nfl analyst He just said something i will echo loudly if you are a coach with options there is no reason you would even consider the houston texans and if you are a coach with no options there is no reason to believe that you would be better at your job than lovey smith just was the Texans have put themselves in the situation that they're in right now, and it's nobody's fault but their own. NFL Head Coaching Carousel Special starts today, 2 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on ESPN+. Adam Schefter, Lewis Riddick, Mike Tannenbaum, Field Yates, with everything fans need to know. They'll be able to give you insight. They'll get you the breaking news. They'll get you the analysis of it from guys that have been involved in that process for years. In the meantime, there is a game tonight that could change their sport forever. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Will a new champion be crowned?
2: The small private research university from Fort Worth, Texas. 12,000.
1: Or will a Dynasty be
0: born? I think they'll be a program that a lot of people will look at, is they're the new bar in the sport? Dogs. Bennett looking, looking, end zone. And he's got it! He's got it! He's got it!
1: Versus Frogs.
0: It's a keep by Duggan, and he's into the end zone! Touchdown, Max Duggan!
1: Tonight... The national championship gives us the ultimate David versus Goliath. But right now, especially with the timing of it all, the outcome could forever change the way we talk about college football. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we are sitting together in L.A. Uh, getting ready for this game. Coverage begins tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You have number 3 TCU versus number 1 Georgia at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Radio, all, all the places that you could possibly watch. And if you watch on any of the digital platforms like the ESPN app, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, you will find Harry Douglas, myself, Christine Williamson, Gary Streisky, Scooby, because a wildly large staff of us uh, starting at six thirty Eastern there. Hawk talk. Hawk. Oh yeah, Hawk's back. Andrew Hawkins, uh, our buddy, uh, hanging out with us. Uh, you know, you might not be six one. Hawk definitely ain't five seven. Like I mean, Hawk, Hawk, don't Hawk's dare start
2: too. this off by saying I'm not six one. Okay. Mean, sure. We're when in close proximity up. today. Enough. I can easily reach over and touch you <laughs> today, easily.
1: you <laughs> gonna slap me like my mama did. Uh, and I probably have it coming. But we have a, a huge opportunity tonight. Hear me out. Like, look, I think George is the better football team in this matchup. But I also thought Michigan was the better football team against TCU, and that didn't matter. TCU does some things that are really hard to stop. And in my mind, right now, when we are on the cusp of playoff expansion, a team like TCU that wasn't even ranked in the preseason that was projected to finish 7th in their conference by most of the media members that team winning a national championship will fuel every year of yeah but once what 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 do you say once you're in the dance you have a chance i mean th- this fuels that for college football right on the heels of, of expansion conversation that's wild
2: yeah i think it's Phenomenal what TCU has been able to do, especially leading up to getting to the national championship game. Sonny Dyches is in his first year, ha, has an opportunity since uh, 1938 when they won their first national championship, but also has an opportunity to become the first head coach since Larry Coker in 2001 to win a national championship in his first year as a head coach, and uh, I will reiterate this on time and time again. He's a disciple of Mike Leach and Mike Leach's coaching tree, and he's learned some phenomenal things from him. So I want to say rest in peace to Mike Leach because he's not only a phenomenal coach but a phenomenal man. But Sonny Dykes, man, he's been everything that TCU has hoped for. Now he he may have given them a little bit more than they were probably expecting in year one, but it's a testament to great coaching and his mindset Going into a lot of different things, it's phenomenal. I I had the opportunity to be able to cover him on media day. And just how cool, calm, and collected he's been has been phenomenal. And I think it's a testament for his players, too, because they need to see that. But going into this ball game, looking at TCU and some of the things that they do well, and Sonny Dykes mentioned this, and I'm going to play the clip in a second, but I want to touch on it first, is that I believe TCU can pose some problems for Georgia with their skill position players, especially their wide receivers, because they're four and five deep in that secondary of Georgia. But I don't think they can be one dimensional. I don't think they can just come in this game and say, you know what, we need to pass the football just to win. No, I think they need to be balanced on offense as head coach Sonny Dyke said at media day. When you play Georgia, you've got to be able to run the football. I think that's the, the, the thing that you have to be able to do at least some is, uh, is run it. Um, If not, you know, you're playing right into their hands. You know, they can really pressure you, can heat you up. you know, it allows those defensive linemen to really play free. And so I think it's always the case when you play somebody, you're going to be much more effective when you can have a run threat, but in particular against a team like Georgia. It's really important to, to be able to run the ball effectively. Now, I'm not saying you need to rush for 300 yards, but you need to be able to uh, consistently run the ball. you got to stay out of third and long situations. Um, and when you can do that, then I think it puts more pressure
1: on them, it takes some pressure off of yourself. Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance and. You know, when you hear that, I think it speaks to the fact that so many people talk about the defensive deficiencies of Georgia in the secondary. You can put up some passing numbers on, on Georgia. That's the book on them, right? But in order to do that, if you're TCU, you're also going to have to run the ball. And you're going to have to find a way to minimize Jalen Carter. I, I, there's an interesting conversation happening right now around Jalen Carter, who, who the defensive tackle for Georgia, who spent the year as the, the most dominant defensive player. When he plays, it makes a drastic difference for Georgia, right? But in that first Playoff game, we saw him get winded a couple of times. Very similar to what we saw for Jordan Davis last year, uh, when we were in the same situation. A freak athlete got into the uh, the first round of the playoffs, and we're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's getting winded. I think that there was a little bit of the break, knocking some rust off for guys. Like, there's a moment here where I think Jalen Carter has the opportunity to disrupt the entire middle of that defensive line.
2: Well, he does 100. percent But here's the thing: I would ask Georgia and defensively, uh, Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart and those guys. If Jalen Carter is double team, if he's triple team, who else is going to bring the pressure, right? It has to be other guys on that defensive line. And I actually think a guy, Mikel Williams, I think he has a chance to be a really, really good player at Georgia and has a chance in this ballgame tonight to make a difference. Also, Monden Jr., uh, Walt Howard, Marshall, all, Robert Beal Jr., all of those guys are collectively are going to have to give Jalen Carter some help because if you are getting one-on-one matchups, you're expected to win your one-on-one matchups. in a TCU offensive line who not only uh, created avenues for their quarterback and their running backs against Michigan, uh, in which they had over 260 yards and three touchdowns, but they also only gave up one sack against Michigan as well. And if Georgia can't get that pressure on Max Duggan, I just don't see how they're going to have a ton of success from a defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, and you're going to have to get Duggan down. Like he's yep. more mobile than people realize. He's faster than people realize. He's shifty in the pocket, and the longer that he's running around, the more opportunity there is to expose the mismatch that is TCU's wide receivers against the the yep. Georgia secondary. Like that is uh, the the two most interesting things is can Duggan extend plays to me and then the other side of it is Michigan really got their butts kicked at the line of scrimmage against TCU against what they call a 335 defense that TCU runs. Michigan had weeks to get ready for it. They weren't ready. And we got Stetson Bennett, who's basically 672 years old there playing quarterback. He's seen a <laughs> lot of football. Like, he's got to be able to come out and be the seasoned guy that can figure out who's coming from where on that defense. Would you
2: leave my boy Stetson Bennett the fourth? See, me and him have a connection, Fitz. I'm Harry Douglas the fourth. He's Stetson Bennett the fourth. Yeah, Stetson, and,
1: and I have a connection, too, because I'm old and he's old. Like, he's just old. Yeah, probably
2: the same size, too, uh, uh, oh my God, ironically. But one thing I love about Stetson Bennett is that, you know – he takes on the, 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 the mindset that, you know what, a lot of people don't want me here. A lot of people never expected me to be here. But I am here, and I'm going to let all of you know uh, respectfully that I am. And I love that about Stetson Bennett.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a huge part of It's just swagger telling you there's a swagger this year to georgia i've been there done that to this entire process that game tonight kicks off on espn espn 2 all over espn radio 8 p.m eastern pregame starts at 6 30 p.m eastern speaking of they don't want you here sort of moments there's one team in the nfl that people seem to just want to constantly ignore Vince and harry the podcast